time to go into Auto Reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that were underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week we're going Auto Reverse on Dead Moon. So Tony, I don't know. In the '90s, man, how many times did you see Dead Moon play? I mean, I can't, man. I I don't even know if I have. Yeah, I I'm I'm trying I think to think we might double have been digit. At the same show. We might have been at the same show. I saw them at the bottom of the hill with Lost Goat. You may have been there. I probably was. I I mean, I yeah. love I love Lost Goat. Um, and, and I would go see them all the time. And matter of fact, one time. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that I got a little high, a little too high with my roommates, and I had and I had tickets. Uh-huh. I had tickets, but at that time I would bring the stereo recorder into shows and I would record it. So I still have the tape of the show at the Kilowatt, uh, but uh, that was one show I quote unquote was there but not there. So I still have the show that was really good, but. Well, I'm sorry you tripped out on the on the weed, but maybe you can bump me a copy of that. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, def- I'll definitely find that because I I'm I think at some point I'm going to go through a lot of my tapes and I I did during the '90s did a lot of tape uh, trading, so um, mm-hmm. as was the, the the popular thing to do at the time. Um, well, to answer your question, I probably in the '90s saw dead moon play at least at least six or seven times yeah at least yeah yeah yeah. um it it's funny because listening to i always i mean i like the recorded stuff but i was more involved with them live than i was on the record not that i didn't listen Mm -hmm. to records of theirs and i did not that i didn't like it i just i just thought that they were a must-see live band because they they're um, live performances were just so energetic uh, and just so just pure rock and roll. Like that, when you talk about rock and roll, like Dead Moon could give you like a full, unfiltered, condensed shot of pure rock and roll. But it kind, of, but a but but a romantic sense uh, and sort of gothy. Uh, veneer of rock and roll. So, from the candles on Loomis's uh, um, drums yeah, yeah. to the fact that they were a couple, that uh, Fred and Tootie were a couple, and you could see that energy. It it had it was it was rock and roll, but it was this incredible interpretation of rock and roll, but very singular and very much shaped by sort of Fred's upbringing, you know, because he was in so many bands leading up to that. And then the way he wound up in Portland also shaped his thing because he was running away from the draft and making his way to Canada and he just wound up in Portland. And well, then Portland, in a way, shaped the sound as well. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Like, let's let's start there. Well, not that we've already started. So let's continue mm-hmm. by going to mm-hmm. where his, his uh, beginnings in music because it was like in... And I didn't know this. Like he started '66 with the Bleeds. Uh, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know it was that early that he started playing in the band. And, and I heard of the Weeds, uh-huh. but I assumed they were like early '70s. But you know, he was in the Weeds, and uh, yeah, you're, like you're saying, he was uh, he wasn't pleased with the management of the Weeds, who became like a fairly decent band uh, that you know one played with the Yardbirds and other bands in San Francisco, uh-huh. uh, but had the book. 
up to Canada uh, to get to evade the draft and got a little came a little short, ran out of gas in Portland. That's right, and and re- and started businesses there, and he started a family there, and um, it, you know, it kind of really, um, if you think about it, they were like probably one of the first DIY bands, but like really DIY, not D- DIY in name, but DIY in, in what they did um, from the way that they recorded uh, right. to the way that they pre the way that they uh, cut the uh, lacquers for their records on the um, original lathe owned by the Kingsman that um, I guess they cut Louis Louis on. I, you know, that's something that I love hearing about yeah. all the time that they, that's what they cut their records on. And that goes actually back to the point that you were saying that you always love them as a live band be- because of the, the records weren't as didn't appeal. Maybe I'm not, and I'm just, I'm, interpreting what you were saying so they maybe the records didn't appeal as much and i guess it's because maybe there's that sound was so lo-fi and in and in mono that at the time in the 90s maybe it was harder to appreciate although now now i really i have all the records now and i really do appreciate that sound more now and not as much in the 90s i was i was like you i was more into seeing them live you know right and i, I don't i think it's more of a preference i i'd like their stuff on record i just i just they're there and i don't i don't think the energy the energy was so several notches higher than what you could what they caught on record yeah. and i think yeah. like even the stuff with the you know, the bands that came after it the the rats um mm-hmm. it's like well, the rats were before right i mean after the sorry the weeds i mean after the weeds yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do this chronologically, but we we we're, <laughs> uh, but we usually step we yeah we, we jump all over the place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right about like it seemed like it was a maturation more than anything of going from the weeds because uh, weeds uh, it's like it's very much indicative of the late '60s. There's nothing that really stands out, and the rats mm-hmm. seem like a kind of a little bit more of a departure from that, as you would imagine. From you know when you're you know you're you're leaving the '70s and '60s and then going to another you know going to another era. But like when you know Dead Moon, the 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 rats were more like like an '80s sound. They were sort of like the 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 transition band between all the stuff that he did in the sixties and then and seventies and and then the rats were sort of the transition band that took them into what became Dead Moon. So because I listened I listened to the rats while I was doing the playlist for for this and I was like, wow, this sounds like Dead Moon, just slightly different production and more new like more new wavy post punk. Yeah, so, the, and the lyrics yeah, are yeah, definitely the stronger lyrics too. I think the songwriting is just a little stronger on Dead Moon too. Yeah, I agree. But I could just I just like that. That's like you could see the sketch of what Dead Moon would become. So you would know? you would you think when they went to Dead Moon because he was kind of playing within the times with the weeds and um, the rats. You know, this is the air. Mm-hmm. This is what the sound is going through. But with Dead Moon, they seem like they kind of went a little stepped a little backwards to kind of to create their sound because the you know yes most a lot of 90s rock bands were kind of heavily influenced by you know garage bands but they Mm -hmm. seem to be something a little different yeah they they had that really like and i I said this word before i'll say it again it's like a romantic 
angle to their sort of like combination of punk and country, if you think about it. Um, and it was unlike anything else going on in the 90s. The only band that I could think of that was reminded me of them that they weren't around though they were sort of around in the 90s but they were more of an 80s band is uh gun club oh yeah, like, yeah. i think i think i think of them as as the band that also had and uh well you know ha had a, 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 a that same feel you know well, that, kind of like that moon had well kind of early green you know well green river and mud honey kind of have a little bit of that uh, as well mm -hmm. and lazy cowgirls i guess is another one that i would yeah that's another one yeah i would kind of think of as well that kind of had that kind of like you know more garagey but yeah kind of a romantic and and edge to it um mm -hmm. But uh, but I think you know when I'm listening to when I listened to the when I was listening to the playlist, which was a, which was a really fun kind of uh, band, uh, because you know this is kind of a little bit of a love story because he mm -hmm. and um, um, uh, Tootie um, mm -hmm. kind of are the emotion. I, I hate using this word, but emotional core of the band, where Fred was obviously the songwriter and main energy behind it. It seemed like it coalesced into really what made Dead Moon, uh, you know, a band that kind of kind of jumped off the needle. Have I ever used that saying? Have you ever ju it jumped off the needle or just it captured your? Nah, I've never heard you say it, but I'll, I'll take right. it. I think it'll be a first and last. It didn't didn't sound great coming out. It kind of rattled around on the teeth a little bit and said, "Don't let me out of here. Keep it inside." And I kind of slipped it out. It's like, yeah, like a rock in your shoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, th that period of time, like what, like you, do you remember that period of time in the you know, like in the eighties or, or the early nineties, where late eighties, early nineties, where they're kind of, kind of really kind of coming together because they. I'm trying to think. Uh, let me look at his notes here. Dead Moon didn't come out to the late '80s, right? No, no. Dead Moon's first. Uh, I, I, I think their first record. I and, and don't quote me. I think it might have been '88 or '89, nine, somewhere in there. '88, '89, '90, which is a weird transition for music. Period. '88, '88, um, yeah. 88. Okay, so that, but I didn't become aware of them until early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like say, early, yeah, yeah they yeah. were still, but they were, they were still under the radar for me from 88 to like 92, 93. I didn't know who they were, you know. And then I think around the time I started TP, so like 93, 94, I started seeing ads for their records um, in Maxim Rock and Roll or yep. Flipside. I can't remember. Yeah, and, um, Flipside. And that's for when sure. I became aware of them. And then when I, started working with um with lost goat and erica was a big fan of theirs and she was really the person that introduced me to them um uh just going to shows like i i think i saw i went with her to see, well they opened for bottom of the hill so I, at the bottom of the hill show so i was at that show and then a, a few months later they played again at coney island high and i went to the show as with her as well and it's funny i love telling the story i um, this is this is sort of like what kind of um, shows. It's a great example of the uh, feeling that they that they gave off. 
um, I brought somebody else with me to the show, this woman, Sarah, who worked for RCA. I'd known her since college. She went to Columbia and we spent a semester in Spain together at some, some thing. And mm-hmm. she was into music. She was a publicist at RCA. But she was into like more like commercial music. So when I took right. her to the show, <laughs> and after and after the show was over, which I thought was a great show, the you know the showmanship, the songs, you know the sort of the the dynamic between Tootie and, and Fred, she was like, "That sucks. That what I just saw sucked." And you know what's funny? I never talked to her really again after that, because I was like, "Well, that's where we. This is where we separate." Because I don't, I don't. If you can't appreciate this, then I don't really know what to say. why you're into music. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what to say. So, and that, and then, and then it just like kind of like for me, it just kind of, um, it just went from there. I just, I, I kept just seeing their shows, right. and then I started to appreciate their records more. Like I said, the mono lo-fi approach that they had, I didn't under, understand as much early on. But then as the '90s rolled on. Um, I started picking up their records. Uh, they were kind of easy to find. Tombstone, their label, kept yeah. a lot of the stuff in print, you know, for for a long time. I never so had a problem. Yeah, there's never been a problem finding a Dead Moon record. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think like, all, yeah, I agree. It's like I, uh, I think the first time I heard about them was my friend Dennis, and it was in the, I think it was the time that they were on the tour for Crack in the System, I believe. So that was the first mm-hmm. album I got, which I really enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was, I gotta say, like when I saw them play, and maybe it was at Bottom of the Hill. I'm trying to think if it was that or the Kennel Club. Um, maybe, I don't know. Um, they just overwhelmed me how well they were, how strong they were live. Like it just, it was like an, um, an overwhelming experience to where, uh, you know, I, I, you know, everyone in the show was like sweaty, smiling. And it was mm-hmm. it was a good time. You walked out of there feeling like you you got your money's worth and then some. And you know from that point on, it was like not hard to like they were a must see band anytime they're in town. Hey, it's it's you know Dead Mood's playing on a Monday night. I'm there. You know it was like not not even something that I really thought about. It's like you, you, it was a type of band that just made you felt like they were putting you know. I didn't understand this till later, like how hard it is to be on the road and playing shows all the time. But they made you feel, at least when I saw their shows, that this was the, this. They were saving all they had for their show. And I'm sure they did that for every show. They did for. 
but generally people were not that into them like they oh, you no, know there no, were plenty no. of shows i went to where there were only like 40 50 people there and people didn't appreciate or understand what they were doing um some did but most didn't and i you know now nowadays everyone you know the book came out a few years ago uh you know pierced arrows put right. the, their records out on on vice and you know they're Fred, when Fred died, his obituary was in the New York Times. So, and it, and so there was a sort of like hipster, like, you know, re revision or reassessment of that band in like 2007, 2008, 2009, when they put, put, put pierced arrows out after Andrew died. Um, and so it, it, it seems right it seems like oh yeah this was always the band this was always well, like the way they were but like in the 90s nobody went to the shows i'm I not mean, yeah. there in pockets like san francisco we, oh, okay. or portland where people went where people went i know that but generally they were a band that was obsessed with touring europe yeah no if you I, really think about it you know yeah and i, and I you're right and I, I i'm you know army of five is like that the people who are whomever i was out with that's who i meant yeah. i don't yeah, yeah. sometimes the, it was crowded sometimes you're right sometimes it was it wasn't anyone going to and like for me like yeah i i don't i th i can only think of the you know seven or so shows that i went there probably less than half of them were packed you you're exact you're 100 mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i i don't really consider them acquired taste i just think that they were a band it's not like Anthony and the Johnsons it's like this is something that or you know it's like something that they just you know there's some they they had a they were a cult following and you know yeah. depending on who else was opening up and what day of the week was you're right it, it, it could be sparsely attended or it could have been a packed house I just know that I, 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 just, I know. just think they were the dominion of rockers, right? That's and 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 then as as the '90s turned into 2000s, they became the dominion of like hipsters and other effete people. But but, but in the '90s, it was a strictly rocker experience, and you know that, right? You have to admit it. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? You know, when you think like when we were like from the playlist, let, let's maybe let's end on this note. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you think? Dead Moon stands in terms of music and its influence because obviously we both have a very high opinion of them. Um, I think there it's it's I I think they're right up there, but it's but I and you might disagree with me. I think it's definitely an acquired taste. No, it's, I agree. With it, you they're there. up there. They're up there, but it's like it's not for everybody. And it's like when that when I took my friend there and she was like this is garbage at the end of the show that's just that's the kind of that's what that band elicits it's like either you love them or you or you just think it's lo-fi noise you know right and and that's it that's how i see I, I, but i see them as high high on the echelon of american underground well, bands they're up there they're i up there. i i think they also serve as a you know there's a kind of a, a little bit of an autonomy about them that I think serves as a great example to other bands mm -hmm. and people. Like That's they, right. They did things their way. They did it. They could have probably had. They, I'm guaranteed they probably had offers to go to bigger labels, but probably. But they stayed with something that they knew that where they can kind of not have to go, you know, do with Butch Vig and they could just stay and do the, <laughs> the records their way. Not, nothing against Butch Vig. I like Butch Vig with it. But my point mm -hmm. is, is like. They could have things where it could be in control of the 
from the beginning to the end and how they wanted to tour, who they wanted to open uh -huh. up or who they wanted to open up for. And I think it served them well. I, I mean, everything that I see about them um, and read about them in articles, they seem like not super jaded. It's very happy that they got to work together and they had a, you know, a power trio. Also, a trio is an incredibly hard thing to keep together. And they kept that band together until, yeah, Andrew Loomis died. So, you know, there's more. Yeah, and, and nice people, too. I met them a, a few times after the show. Yeah, and I, ni very nice people, and 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 their music, their music, it was one of those things like because I had started the label, and I needed bands that I could hang my hat on and be like, I need you, so I could right feel energized, I could feel inspired, and 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 feel like I'm not alone in this. Like there's people that are doing something similar. Um, I was doing it in the form of a label, but they were, and they were doing it in the form of a band. But still, we're all in this together, and that's the. I think if I was going to get something from them, like the the one thing it's that they made me feel like we're all all in this together. Right, and to to count, to piggyback on that, when uh, we played at the Satyricon, Andrew came to the show. I'm sure mm -hmm. he was, I'm sure he's coming to the Satyricon rather than come to our show. But he, he was very nice after the show and was very complimentary and bought him a drink. And obviously mm -hmm. it was cool meeting someone like that who was also genuinely nice. I never got to re meet uh, Fred and Tootie, but I imagine them being, you know, you can't kind of go without, you know, you, know, you get farther with kindness. And I, they, they seem like they, they, that's, that was their, the way that they work things too. They were kind. Yeah. And you could, t and it was, it was, it was. You could hear it in the music. The kindness was there. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of a darkness to them, but it was a darkness that you, where you could see light coming in from yeah. other. Yeah, well, definitely. Like, you know. Yeah, definitely storyteller. Yeah. So he had things. Yeah. That he he had a definitely strong point of view. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Great band, and they, and they really, and they really, it was something that I needed at that time, and they, it, it they came they they showed up at a perfect time for me in my life i needed that and it and it shaped the late it shaped tp like in some ways i think it i never put out any bands that sounded like them and not that there were that many but um right but it's it did it sort of it reinforced a sort of diy we're in this together kind of like be you know five people 40 people doesn't matter um and and i'll never um you know i'll yeah. always be grateful for that yeah well and we'll be keep listening to them, which I hope you everyone does to the fantastic playlist that's on there that we have for you. And uh, yeah, let us know if there's any other bands you want us to tackle or notes about this show. AutoReversePod at gmail.com. Did you want to plug anything, Tony? No. No. What will you want? Should I should I plug anything? Please. I mean, I have a radio show. I have a there radio show on uh, on CJMP um, in Powell River. British Columbia. It's uh, 90.1 FM here, terrestrial, but on the online, which is a little bit easier way to access it, it's cjmp.ca backslash listen. And the name of the radio show is Crowd Control Radio every Friday, noon to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Well articulated and spelled out, my friend. <laughs> So <laughs> we'll see you next time, everyone.
R.I.P. Fire.